Welcome to episode 71 with... Mm, let me do that again. <laughs> That's a solid start. God damn. Right, let's try this again. Episode 71 of the Just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Dizimoni, here with... Trailer Gracie. And you may have noticed that we are still on Zoom, and you may be thinking... You guys betrayed me. You betrayed the trust I had in you because last week you said we'll be back to normal. And for that, we do apologize. But we have only partially betrayed you. We are still doing Zoom this week, but we are back to our old format where we do have a topic this week. So please don't turn us off just yet. We still have a little bit of a semblance of what we used to be. Um, Royler had a, a busy day with privates and it just, it worked out easier where we could just do this over Zoom. Yeah, it's just a timing thing. What I'm saying is, if you're mad, just place that anger on Croiler. It's his fault. <laughs> I, I, sure, blame me. We, we are back to doing, to doing a topic. So the, the topic of today is guillotine variations. We've done one episode before on classic guillotine. This week, we're going to do it, kind of an overview on all the different variations. So we'll probably touch on the classic guillotine again, but we'll talk about the plethora of other guillotines out there. What do you, are you nervous, Croyler, to be back to a topic? I mean, do you feel like that's a lot of weight, a lot of pressure on you? It doesn't bother me. <laughs> you okay? You, you look really nervous right now. Super nervous. Of all the privates you've had since, uh, what, did you start doing those again in like late May? May? Yeah, it was like right after Labor Day. Have you had anyone who's wanted to go over a guillotine? No, but I, I, nobody came out and specifically asked for guillotine, but um, I have shown them to a couple of people, um, you included, um, because they needed to know it. I was thinking this just as I was going over my notes. What's what's the is there a difference between a just a guillotine and a front headlock? Because a guillotine is like a front headlock, but it is would a guillotine be under the umbrella of a front headlock? Oh man, that's tough. Um, that's like a um, how can I how can I explain it? Um, so a front headlock is about control. And a guillotine is about submission. Um, you know, with a front headlock, you can manipulate the body and, and, and create certain angles that make it tough for your opponent to to move or, or you know, advance. But uh, a front headlock really doesn't, is not designed to choke someone. Now, can you choke somebody with a front headlock? Yeah, I mean, anybody can hulk out around somebody's neck and get a tap. But uh, it's not meant for... It's it's by, by its design, it doesn't function well as a submission. It can be a submission, but it's generally more for control. And, and you know, if you try to finish a front headlock, generally speaking, you're more like crushing the throat versus choking someone. Um, whereas a guillotine, um, while it has some elements of control, it's really designed more to, to choke the opponent, to cause, you know, somebody to lose consciousness. Um, so they're similar, but they're not the same. 
a side headlock. I, now I'm thinking about side headlocks for some reason. This is not a headlock episode, but uh, if is is there a way? Is there a side headlock choke? And I'm thinking particularly from the feet, like a a side headlock when someone's on your side. Is there any way to get a choke when you're standing up like that? If someone in um, yeah, um, there is. It's it's um, some people call it the bulldog choke, um, and and it works to an extent. Um, again, it, by design, it's meant more for control than for submission. But it, you can very effectively choke people as long as they they don't know what to do or if they've never if they've never been there before. Um, probably the most uh, most infamous. Uh, popular case of the bulldog choke was Ben Askren against I think it was his debut in the UFC he got rocked really hard and he got a bulldog choke and the guy kind of tapped didn't tap the ref thought the guy was out it was kind of a controversial ending oh I think Um, against Robbie Lawler right yeah 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 okay so that so yes there is something there but again what people fail to realize is um Anytime you target the neck and the head, um, you you gain incredible levels of control. You know, wherever the head goes, the body follows. So if you can control somebody's head, you can move their body. If you can control their rotation, you can stop their body from moving. It's a very, very high-level form of control. Um, along with that, the neck is very vulnerable to choking. You know what I mean? Like any anybody that's can apply enough pressure around your neck and cause you to lose consciousness. But, you know, like we were talking about the headlock and guillotine, the headlock is, is designed and meant more for control. Um, whereas guillotining is meant more for submission. Now, can you control with the, with the guillotine? Sure. Can you submit with the front headlock? Sure. But that's not what they're meant for. Not what they're designed for. And, and at the highest levels, um, if you mistake that, um, you have, you know, great failure. All right, so if this episode is a book on guillotines, then here will be the table of contents. Here are the, the, the variations that I'm thinking we can talk about. And if you want to add some, we can. But the list that I have, we can touch on, because it's been a while, our classic guillotine. We could touch mm-hmm. on a high elbow. We could touch on a low elbow. You could, we can touch on one arm. We can touch on like an arm in guillotine. Those are the ones I kind of have on my list. Are there any other big ones that you think, oh, we should talk about this if we're doing guillotine? There's there's a couple um, um, there's a couple of chokes, a couple of guillotine variations where you can do where um, the opponent's arms are completely out of the equation. Um, there's no real name for them. They're not very common, but they're there. Um, but wouldn't generally those, speaking, wouldn't those be? All the ones I just mentioned, except for the arm in D&D? Well, well, no, because generally speaking, when you guillotine someone, their upper body is in line with your upper body, or at least partially in line with your upper body. What I'm talking about is the the opponent's upper body would be completely removed from their upper body. You know, and and that would... um, Completely removed from the body? So you sever... The opponent's torso from, from body. Wow, I want to learn body. that. <laughs> um, and then, and then, you know, the the only other thing I can think of that might fall in the umbrella of a guillotine is like, 
if you get into things, if you start considering things like the the Munson choke, you know, or like the North and South choke, considering those like guillotines because they're kind of like a reverse guillotine, but I, I don't I consider that them to be a class of their own. But otherwise, you're right. It is just high elbow, low elbow, arm in, no arm guillotines, and then like you can have small variations. You know, like you can do, you know, chin strap guillotines. You can do, like I said, the the guillotines where your opponent's arms are completely out of the equation. So a couple of variations there, but the big four are are the high elbow, low elbow, arm in, and no arm guillotine. Yeah, yeah, and we have others we could touch on, but like the like the like the sassy boy guillotine like the the tiktok north south hitchcock big boy I, I guillotine we, got, we got the wet noodle silly boys uh I, I appreciate you not embarrassing me bringing those up because i don't know those <laughs> yeah i don't I, yeah i mean you don't know those please you you mentioned when i said have you done any privates on those you mentioned my name and you know that you went over those with me you liar <laughs> I, I plead the fifth <laughs> no, no one no one hits a sassy boy guillotine like you that's all i'm saying i won't confirm or deny all right let's let's start with our basics let's, let's start with the classic guillotine um as i said we've we've touched on before but it's been been long enough that i think we'd 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 all benefit a little from going over it what what is what are what are the trademarks of the classic guillotine? So a regular guillotine is um, a traditional guillotine is like a low elbow guillotine. Um, they're pretty much identical. There's very few differences between them. Um, so a, tra- a traditional or, or a low elbow guillotine, you, you basically create a nice seal around your opponent's head. You get your arm completely around their neck, so that your armpit is on the base of their skull. And you have a bicep on one side of their neck and their forearm on the other side of their neck in such a way that your hand can clear their collarbone. So your hand should always, in a guillotine, your hand should always have clear their collarbone and be by their ear almost. So in that low elbow, you always are going to have a very deep grip. Yeah, and that's going to happen. Uh, that's going to be like a common pattern in all guillotines. Um, there's a couple of variations where that's not the case, but... Um, but for the main traditional one, the main the main four, that's going to be a common trend. And then uh, once we get that wrist in the right place, our free hand will grip the wrist. We then pinch our elbows tight to our rib cage, and basically that points our elbows down. Ergo, the low elbow name. Um, we step with our outside leg towards their shoulder blade, and we slide our leg that's supporting our weight underneath our opponent, essentially pulling close guard half guard kind of position um we put their head on the mat and then we extend our hips and arch our back to the finish wait now when you're talking about uh, pulling their head to the mat are you as as you're positioning your body or your your hips are be. moving are moving kind of shrimping away and you're bringing their head towards that space kind of the way your hips were right right ideally i am ideally i'm almost on my side when i do this and their head is on the floor almost underneath me with with this one you're on your side with with all the guillotines we go through will you will you do you always want to be on your side or there's somewhere you're going to are you ever going to be on your like flat on your back um we, we should try to avoid being flat on our back because it limits our range of motion once we are flat on our back can we finish a guillotine absolutely but the the guillotine happens not by how hard you can squeeze the neck but more so by 
um, how much you can fold their the head, right? So basically what taps somebody in the guillotine is not how much you can flex your bicep, but more so how much your hips can drive forward and your back can pull you, you know, backwards. So um, when we're flat, we can only hip forward. We can't arch back because the floor blocks us, you know. So we lose a, 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 a huge mechanical you know, power there in order to, that's a finishing power in the guillotine. So if we can be on our side, not only can we hip forward, we also have room behind us to arch our back and move away. So it's not that you can't finish them if you're flat. It's just not the most mechanically optimal position. I think that's the easy thing to forget that, that finishing a guillotine is, it's not about that, that just squeezing, but it's about that folding of that folding them under. And to do that, you have to create that space and, right. and moving that your body out of the way is a huge part of that. Right, 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 right. So, um, the low elbow guillotine is like the traditional guillotine. It's the one that, you know, was done for years and years and years. Um, it's probably the most used guillotine of all time. Um, is that like and the then, most old school guillotine? Like, yeah, it's just a mold old. It's just the most old school, most traditional guillotine. Um, of course, it's been updated and tweaked over the years, but it's ultimately, I think, to me, and I don't know for sure, but I would say it's it's easily the one of the oldest, if not the oldest, styles of guillotine. Um, and then what came of it is, in, you know, in in, in Gracie Jitsu, like guillotine defense is something very, very huge because it's easy to slap a guillotine on someone. It's easy to be caught in it. So we need to have different ways to escape. And as competitive jiu-jitsu became more popular and the sport grew and you got guys like Crone or like Marcelo Garcia, who are both huge, huge guillotine, guillotiners. Um, you made that word up. The, yeah, I did. Um, they started. I think they call themselves the guillotine gang. Sure. Um, people started defending the guillotine, the low elbow guillotine, much more effectively because they knew what to expect, right? They had a pattern for defense. And it turns out that it was easier to modify the guillotine than to come up with a counter to their defense uh, against your guillotine, you know? So, um, the, the 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 modification that destroyed their defenses was the high elbow guillotine. And uh, Marcelo Garcia was the guy that popularized it for a while. They called it the Marcelo Tini um, because he did it on everyone. And the only difference in, in the setup for the high elbow guillotine is instead of pulling, when you grip your choking hand, instead of pulling your elbows to rib cage, you take the free arm elbow and you place it above their collarbone near their spine. So it points towards the ceiling. And then you finish it all the same. Like the finishing mechanics are the same. But moving that elbow over their shoulder towards their spine changes the, the properties of the guillotine enough that the traditional low elbow guillotine defenses don't work. So that so that is a good brings up a good question of what was the 
defense people were using against that low elbow that made Marcelo go, all right, I'll switch to the high elbow, and that stopped. Well, and and before we do that, I don't know that he came up with it. I just know that he popularized it. Maybe he did. I mean, the guy's a brilliant jiu-jitsu fighter. Um, But the the most defenses for a low elbow guillotine come down to managing the opponent's ability to arch their back. So essentially you pressure forward, you, you know, maybe you cup their shoulder, cup their head, put your head on the ground, you stop their ability to hip in, you stop their ability to arch their back. Then the low good team becomes nothing more than just a holding position. And for a long time, people were so committed to the guillotine that they would burn their arms out because they were afraid to let go because they're all, you know, smashed or they're crushed or their base, their, their guard is open. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have a way to, follow up a failed um low elbow guillotine if somebody closed the distance like that you know um so when the the high elbow come that came up and it covered the shoulder and the collarbone essentially that became a frame to where people could no longer come in to you in order to manage distance so in a low elbow guillotine if i hit a low elbow guillotine and you can come into me enough and cover my shoulder and flatten me and stop me from marching with a high elbow guillotine. There will always be a gap between your shoulder and my chest, which means that you cannot stop my ability to arch your hip and in simply by throwing weight onto me. Does that make sense? You're guaranteed to always, no matter how hard they push, have that, that little bit of space between the two. Right. And that little space is all I need. To arch into a guillotine and, and get a tap, especially if I if I did it right, if I set it up right. So, um, so and, the high elbow guillotine became, became this thing. And what is what is that exactly? That frame where they have this. You you mentioned you had a high elbow in there. What's the frame that's keeping them away from you? The forearm, right? So when my hand comes through and I get my wrist past the collarbone, when my free hand grabs my wrist, and there's a number of, of creative grips to do a high elbow guillotine. But it doesn't matter. The, the the grip doesn't actually affect the finishing. Remember, a guillotine is finished with your shoulders, back, and, and, and hips, not with how you hold your hands, right? So pick whatever your preferred grip is. But that elbow then gets placed above their collarbone towards their spine. So instead of having a perfect circle around somebody's neck, you have more of a like long V. And, and that creates that frame, the V frame where people can't come into you. Okay. So you get this now, is there a way to, to, can you get a high elbow if you're starting from a low elbow and someone pressures into you and then you think, Oh no, I've got to, I've got to create this space to get a frame. Can you salvage a low elbow elbow with a high elbow? Absolutely, as long as you have enough space to move your elbow in the right position. Right now, if the opponent defends a low elbow and you're crushed on the mat and you know that you can't finish a low elbow because there's no space, then there is no space. You can't create that frame. You know, but if I let's say I shoot a guillotine and we're on our feet and you start pushing into me really hard and I go, man, like he's gonna close that distance, maybe I will back away from you just enough to get my elbow over and then I can manage that distance now. Is there a reason and I think why we saw we saw an example of a, of a low elbow transition to high elbow guillotine recently in the UFC. Um, if not, the, it wasn't the last UFC, but it was the one before 
um, where one of the prelim guys um, got a, got a low elbow guillotine, and then there was kind of a scramble, and he switched to a high elbow guillotine, and it was powerful enough to even be able to push the opponent on their back. Mm. Is there a is as we talk about it? I think okay. So if if the high elbow just completely prevents the person from smashing you, it gives you a nice frame. Why not just always go high elbow? Um, well, it's not that you can't go always high elbow. Like the reality is, all of these guillotines are equally vicious. They're equally as effective. The mechanics on all of them are very efficient. You can put people out just as easily on on all of them. But every it's like every cell of guard has a, a plus and a minus, right? So a low elbow guillotine will have the tightest seal around the neck. The weakness is it cannot manage distance. A high elbow guillotine solves that problem by creating that frame. By creating that frame, you have a V shape around the collar instead of a, a perfect seal, which means the opponent to defend a high elbow guillotine can can defend it by simply bellying up, right? So if, a, if an opponent is willing to give up top position and they belly up, the high elbow guillotine will fail. Whereas a regular low elbow guillotine will not fail if they, if they belly up. When you say belly um, up, what do you mean? So let's say, let's say, um, let's say you're in turtle and I, and I hit a high elbow guillotine. If you simply rotate so that your face points to the ceiling and your shoulders are on the mat, the high elbow guillotine will fail. It's very hard to follow it up. Is it impossible? No, but that failure rate goes through the roof. Um, whereas in a low elbow guillotine, if you rotate, um, it doesn't change my, my, my failure rate. I can still get it. I can still follow it and finish it, you know, but in a high elbow guillotine, you don't have to worry about the guy closing the distance and, 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 and removing space. So it's a, it's a plus and minus thing, you know, it's just different properties. Um, so an example of a high elbow guillotine that the opponent quickly, easily defended and people are like, Oh my God, it's incredible defense. Not really. It just looks easy. Um, it was, um, Diaz McGregor. I think Diaz slapped a high elbow guillotine on McGregor and McGregor, um, rolled to his belly, gave up top position. I think it was their first fight and he very easily escaped the guillotine, but he had to give up bottom, which allowed Diaz to get on top you know, eventually choke him. Um, but that's just an example of um, the belly up from as far as a form of defense for high elbow guillotines. Is another form of defense for the high elbow um, reaching up somehow and like attacking that high elbow? And yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can block the high elbow before it gets into place, once it's into place, you don't have the range of motion to pull that elbow down. But if you block it ahead of time, you can create a situation in which your opponent has to transfer into a low elbow guillotine. They no longer can afford to, to, to block you, you know? Um, so if, 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 if an opponent does not want to give up top position to escape a high elbow guillotine, he may fight his way into a low elbow guillotine in order to defend that and then hopefully stay on top. I'm thinking of another example of like, I, I guess you would, classify this as a standing high elbow guillotine. Do you remember John Jones choking out Leota Machida? Yes. So that was a high elbow guillotine, 
right? So he hit it. And um, even though Lyoto Machida, I think, even had his hands around his legs, you know what I mean? Like both legs. He was originally trying for like a double leg. And John Jones never had to sprawl because of the help of guillotine. Machida could never get closer. Like he completely managed distance with the high elbow guillotine, which is what it's the point. That's the point of the high elbow guillotine. Now, if that had been a low elbow guillotine, then the Machida could have been more effective with the takedown and maybe could have even taken down Jones or at least forced Jones to sprawl in order to defend the takedown. Right. All right. Let's hop over now to the one arm guillotine. So, uh, now, one arm guillotines are before before we completely dive in. I always would say I really like one arm guillotines, but as I was doing some research, I wonder if it'd be more accurate in saying I like a five finger guillotine. Yes, yes. So five finger guillotine is a sub style of uh, one arm guillotines. I am a five finger guillotine or two. What what you've taught me would be. The five finger guillotine. That's that's the one that I I really like. Where you hold the you're talking about the one where you hold the chin. Yeah. Yes, that is a five finger guillotine. Correct. So let's talk. Let's start general then with a one arm, and then we can maybe talk about that variation. Okay. So with um, so with a one arm guillotine, the mechanics are roughly the same because remember the 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 guillotine is finished with shoulders, back, and hips, right? Mm -hmm. So the purpose of your choking arm is really to create a nice tight seal around somebody's neck in order to, you know, maintain that seal, um, you have to do certain things. So in high elbow guillotine, you grab your wrist, you point your elbow up. In a low elbow, you grab your wrist, elbow down. In a one-arm guillotine, to create that frame to secure the seal, you simply cup your chest, right? And believe it or not, that's sufficient to allow your hips, back, and shoulders to arch and hip in, causing the submission to occur. So even though you would think it'd be looser or weaker, it's really not because simply instead of framing your hand, you're framing against your chest. And, you know, it's, it's still equally powerful and very, very tough to beat. Um, the the downside of of a you know one arm guillotine is should it should that grip slip if you're sweaty if you have a, a, a not a very good frame and it starts to slip off your chest you could have a weakening there um, the upside of of a one arm guillotine is that you have an extra arm that isn't doing anything that can be used to mitigate a bunch of different issues like what are their arms doing what are their legs doing my balance and things like that so um it's a trade-off you know you have a free arm to troubleshoot other issues in and you're trading that gain for a potentially weaker frame that could slip off although in a perfect world it doesn't and if you do it right it won't make a difference you think a one-arm guillotine isn't as solid as a two-arm? Like, you, oh, I can't generate. And as a small person, I think I can't generate enough. It's hard enough to generate enough force with two arms on a lot of these people. How can I? How can I do this with one arm? And it, it's. I, I didn't. I wasn't sure exactly why it was easy, but the way you explained it there makes sense. You, you have your your chest as as your chest as your frame. Yeah, it's as that frame. Yeah, you know, you're talking about the five-finger guillotine. 
Um, that's a that's a subset. That's a subclass of a one arm guillotine. Um, and 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 you know, just like you can do a ten finger guillotine as a subset of a low elbow guillotine. Um, so, like a five finger guillotine would be one where you're not compressing the neck with your bicep and forearm, but you're compressing the neck with your hand and wrist. So you, you bypass the need to get a clear, clean shot around the neck and you can kind of shortcut it into the, into just using your hand and your wrist. And with that five finger, where exactly are you placing? And when we say five finger, the reason it's called that is because you literally have your hand and it's like, it's kind of just cupped and you place that right along. Uh, you put it like right along like the, under the jar, the chin. Yeah. You, you would place it so that, you know, if I'm, if I'm gripping you, if I'm gripping your neck for a five finger guillotine, I would have it so that my, my ring and pink finger, pinky finger are closer to your jaw, to your chin. And then my middle index and thumb would be all on the same side on one side of your neck, um, blocking, you know, uh, one of your um, arteries and then my hand on the other side, the palm, the meat of my hand would be on the other side. And the, the first thing I would do there is I would create a compression by cupping and squeezing my hands shut. Um, but how you close your hands makes a difference. You never lead with your, with your fingertips. You lead with your fingers, um, makes a difference on how the squeeze is done. And then we, we would, you know, rotate the wrist in a certain way to, to create a further, uh, compression of the arteries and then at that point you'd engage your upper body your shoulders your back your hips in order to finish it and that little action of the wrist is almost it's just kind of a flick of the wrist like you're isn't it just kind of flicking like your thumb like towards you just kind of yeah motion that's 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 all you need to do and people don't think that that's enough to tap them but i I've, i've caught quite a few people in it um anytime you're choking somebody what you're really trying to do is is compress or collapse the arteries or the trachea. So you can either stop airflow from coming to the lungs or from heart to the brain or both. And to to do that, it's you're not breaking their neck. You know what I mean? Like that's not the goal. The goal is just to to, to collapse. And and to do that, you you don't need a huge amount of pressure. Okay, so the reality is if, if you get around seven to 10 PSI in, of, of pressure in your, in any of your arteries, they will stop blood flow sufficiently enough to cause somebody to go unconscious. The average adult male has like 30 pounds of pressure on their grip. So, I mean, there's plenty of power there, which is the reason why people tap so fast to like guillotines is because once you throw your back into it and your hips and your shoulders, then it's not just, you know, how hard you can flex your bicep. You, you have a, your biggest muscles, you know, crushing their neck. So it's very doable to do a five-finger guillotine. It is much faster than regular guillotines as far as in terms of setup. Um, you, don't, you don't have to commit to a specific hip or shoulder placement. You're not giving up any positions. It's simply a, 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 you know, it's like a, 
it, just a quick, it's like the jab of guillotine. So you can uh-huh. throw it out there and see if it happens. And if it, if it, if you have it right, then you can get a quick tap. If not, you can go from there and easily transfer it to one of the more traditional guillotines that we've talked about. So those are the, those are the, the main guillotines we talked about. You, you had just briefly mentioned earlier, uh, the Munson joke, North South joke. You said those kind of would be their own thing. What, what, what is the Munson joke exactly? Um, uh, the North and South choke or the Munson choke, it's the same thing. Um, the, the North and South choke got popular in the Jiu-Jitsu community through Marcelo Garcia, who started doing it for North and South. Um, and basically it's like a inverted guillotine, you know, uh, where instead of having your opponent and you both be oriented the same direction, you're basically oriented in North and South, you know, um, Jeff Munson in the AFC back in 2005 to six or seven, he got real, real popular in the UFC because he, uh, I think Jeff Munson actually won ABCC. So he's an ABCC champion, but he fought the UFC for a while. And, uh, he, he put, I think he put like two or three people back to back out on that choke. And like, like one guy even foamed at the mouth at how hard he squeezed. <laughs> um, I'll have to find the clip and send it to you. Um, we did, we did forget, um, the Armin guillotine. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. As, as one of the main, main guillotine styles, uh, main umbrellas anyways. Um, the, the Armin guillotine became much more prevalent because of MMA. Um, and it became a, a much bigger thing, um, back when Hanzo fought Pat Miletic, I think that was the match. And he, uh, I think it was Pat. And he uh, he he was trying to set up a, a low elbow guillotine, and and Militage closed that distance and hugged Hanzo, basically got an underhook on Hanzo, and Hanzo didn't have enough space to get his hand in for a low elbow guillotine. Remember back then, high elbow guillotine weren't very common, um, especially in MMA. So Hanzo did a, an arm in guillotine where he went around the arm. And he was able to still apply it just as efficiently. And and I think to this day, Hanzo is probably the best Armin guillotiner in, in the planet. Um, he's just very, very good with it. And he, he was the guy that kind of um, taught Danaher his guillotines and, and Danaher, you know, develops it some more. Um, but there's plenty of guys in the UFC that have very good Armin guillotines. Um, but the Armin guillotine is actually there's a lot more details that go into it in order to get a successful submission off of it. Um, oftentimes people think they can do it and you'll see them throw an arm in guillotine and burn their arms out before getting the submission. Had you seen, had people seen arm and guillotines before that or was that something well, you kind of just I, made up on the spot? I'm sure it's, I'm sure that he was doing it before. I mean, he, he, he looked very practiced when he did it. Um, but it just wasn't a, like a popular approach to guillotine. You know, it was seen as uh, like an incorrect guillotine, especially at the time it was seen as like a subpar guillotine because you weren't good enough to get your hands in place before the distance was closed, you know? Um, and, and it turns out that it's an equally effective form of, of, of strangulation. Anything else before we close this book on guillotine variations? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. All right. Well, before we leave, let's uh, let's just do a little, little. Let's just do a quick little role play before we leave. Um, oh my god! It's, it's been a while. We're back to old formats. All right. How about 
it's the big day. It's the summer water skiing tournament and you're trying to compete to win because uh, that, that guy stole your girlfriend and you, you got to get her back. And she said, Croiler, I'll get back with you if you win the, the super classic water skiing tournament today. So you're up. It's time to go. You see your girlfriend standing with this guy and you got to get a perfect 10 score on this water okay. skiing course. And I'm driving the boat. And I look at you and I give you a thumbs up. I go, I got you, man. We start moving. What's, what's the first thing you're going to do on, you're on your water skis. You got to do a real fancy trick. What's the first thing? Well, you don't have to, you can do whatever kind of trick you want. What, what, what are you thinking? As soon as we get to where the, the girlfriend and the guy are watching, I'd flip both of them off and then <laughs> just fall in the water. <laughs> you're gonna say i would do like a flip but no you just flip them off and then you just like what you just you just face plant just let the go. Water? no just let go and then just you know lay back i see all right so you do that you fall in and she's like wow that was that took a lot of guts and then underneath you feel oh you feel arms pick you up and there are beautiful mermaids on each side of you Oh, wow. <laughs> and they say, they say, Croiler, you've tamed, you've tamed, you've tamed the sea with your bold, brazen attitude. And they say, we are yours. And you have this harem of mermaids and you look over at it, your, your, your ex-girlfriend and you can see she's just, she's just teeming with jealousy. And, and these, these mermaids take you down to the sea. And I don't know what happens below the sea. That's that's up to you and the mermaids. That's but we won't get into that because this is a family podcast. But uh, all right, that that went well. That was just a quick little uh, quick little role play. Nice. I think that may have yeah, been the best one so far. Thanks. I, that, I felt the best one in that. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> that that is that is it for this week, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. And next week, maybe we'll be in person. Maybe we'll be in person. Hopefully, we'll be in person. All right, we'll see you guys next week. See ya.